knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. So nobody, nobody is really making new loads or even a lot of old loads for it. You probably could go search store shelves now for the next six months and not find a box anywhere. Pretty much have to be a hand loader, I think, to make this work for you. So that would probably make me choose... Questions, questions, we get questions. Hi, everyone. Ron Spomer at RSO Podcasts or Ron Spomer Podcasts or Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcasts. I'm not sure what we call it these days. At any rate, my job is not to name the uh, podcast, but to perform in this podcast. Although I'm not sure performance is the right word. These are pretty easy. They just hand me questions. And once again, we're going high tech with a computer. And here are some questions that I'm going to try to answer. And if I get them wrong, it is your responsibility to straighten me out. (laughs) This is from David. And David says or asks, what are your thoughts on harvesting neck meat? You think it's a waste when hunters don't harvest this part of an animal? Well, the good question, David. I wouldn't use the term harvest. To me, that's vegetable (laughs) but i know a lot of guys these days are saying harvest for taking deer because we are utilizing a natural resource the same as vegetables it's just that with animals we've usually said we butcher them or we kill them or we hunt them but put them up for the winter but uh it's still a good question about neck meat because a lot of people don't like to mess around with the neck meat for some reason And I think I know the reason. I mean, I was the same way when I was a young man. It's just kind of bothersome to get that neck meat off because there are so many protuberances off of the vertebrae in the neck. And there's a lot of cartilage sort of tissue in it, especially on a buck. A buck deer will just really swell his neck in the fall. That's because of testosterone level increased and then all the exercise you're getting, rubbing antlers against trees and stuff. And then, of course, fighting one another. So they have really strong neck muscle and a lot of it. And that's kind of my point. There's a lot of meat on the neck of a buck deer or an elk or moose or anything. So do you utilize it? I certainly do. And the way I do it is to generally grind it for burger um, and or sausage. That way you don't have to worry about the little cartilage things in there. You just... Get your knife in and just start working your way around those bones. It really, with a little experience, is not that difficult. Um, I don't mind going after the neck meat at all anymore, although on female deer, pretty minimal. But I still go for it because there's a lot of good meat there, and it grinds up just beautifully. And especially those two long muscles here on either side of the trachea, 
those are, uh, oh gosh, they're about yay long and just good meat all the way through. So make sure you catch those too. Good question, David. Now, Paul asks, do you have any experience with shooting rifle barrels that have been, oh, cryogenetically frozen? I've been told that that will increase the longevity of the barrel as well as increase accuracy. What are my thoughts? Or what are your thoughts? He asked me. <laughs> yes, Paul, that is a proven technique. What they do is they deep freeze the metal to relieve stresses within, say, the fibers of the steel, the, the crystal structure of the steel. When you heat steel and when you're manufacturing it, um, and then cool it at varying rates, and then machine it, drill holes through it, and all the things they do to make a barrel, you can introduce some significant stresses into the steel. And I don't know who figured this stuff out, but cryogenetically freezing it relieves those stresses and makes for a more consistent barrel, especially when it heats. If you shoot several rounds in a row, uh, many rifles you will notice that your accuracy begins to suffer. Because the barrel is heating, it's swelling, it's changing its stresses, and that imp impacts the, the performance. So that would be the main reason that I would have it done. Uh, definitely a potential to increase your accuracy. Longevity, I'm not real sure on that one. Uh, I have not studied it a lot, but it might work to that effect. Um, I'd have to do some more research on that. Anyone out there who's worked a lot with cryo barrels, let us know if you do get enhanced barrel life out of that as well as accuracy. And are there any other benefits that I'm missing? Be nice to know. Okay. Now, this is fellow calls himself Fisherman Dan. And his question is, what is your favorite rifle that you own? <laughs> I've been asked that before, and I think I may have even addressed it on some of these Q&As. Um, and the answer still is, I don't have a favorite. It's uh, it's like asking somebody with uh, several children, who's your favorite? <laughs> Even if they have one, they're not going to admit it. <laughs> no, that I definitely have rifles that I enjoy more than others. But some of them I enjoy for their incredible accuracy, but I might not enjoy them for their balance or the way they carry in the hunting field. And then vice versa. Uh, and some are just great all-round performers, and I really enjoy carrying them as well as shooting them. So. Absolute answer, don't have one for you. Sorry, man. <laughs> and the same thing applies to calibers or cartridges. People will ask that, of course, too, and it's a common question among shooters and hunters. Yeah, what's your favorite caliber? And what most people want to know is your favorite cartridge in a given caliber. So uh, once again, I just enjoy so many of them. So many calibers, so little time. <laughs> All right. Thanks for that, Dan. Now, this is Arnold, and Arnold asks, can you, you tell us about cartridges that I've tried and don't like? Oh, you guys must be working in concert here. Uh, cartridges that I don't like. Gosh, that's another good one. I mean, obviously, there are quite a few that I'm really not crazy about. Uh, most famously, the 308 Winchester, and most people cannot understand why I don't particularly care for that and it's not really the cartridge that I don't like it's the attitude so many people have about it or or the mistaken identity they have with it they think it's a super long range super accurate cartridge and then they go on and on and on and it certainly can work that way and has worked that way but just because the military adopted it doesn't mean it's the world's greatest cartridge and just because military snipers have used it 
and police snipers have used it, that it's the world's greatest long-range sniping cartridge because it isn't. It just simply isn't. That's why the 6.5 Creedmoor took over in the long-range shooting game. It is just more efficient and uh, does a better job of hitting the target out there at significant distances. So what the 308 Winchester is, as I've said many times, it's a 30 6 light or 30 6 short because it's basically the same case shooting the same bullets with less powder because it's in a short action. I do like the short action, however. Uh, I don't dote on it, but it is kind of fun and handy and makes for a little bit quicker and lighter rifle. But cartridges that I just don't like, I really can't think of any because they're all interesting in their own way. And they're all fun to work with and load for and and work with your rifle to try to get better accuracy out of them or anything. So, yeah, I really can't think of any I don't like. I'm not real fond of the, um, well, like the 30 carbine. That's kind of a useless little cartridge in my mind, although the military used that one again, too. I think that was uh, pretty much designed for flyboys. Uh, pilots would carry that because it was a quick, light little rifle. And I think it was used with some patrols too. They would give one man in a in a patrol that little carbine for quick work, especially in urban environments when they were clearing out buildings and whatnot. Uh, but I'm not really sure on that one. I'm not a military man, so any of you out there who are can really fill us in on why that 30 carbine was ever made. It would be kind of fun to know. Sort of like a glorified pistol cartridge in a rifle, I think. Okay, Lindsay. Lindsay asks, which cartridge do you prefer for hunting and why? Oh, good. Got me a couple of choices here. <laughs> 243 WSSM or the 65 by 300 Weatherby? This one is a little easy and a little difficult to answer because I have used the 243 WSSM for hunting, but I have not used the 65 300 Weatherby. So I'm going to have to go off of what I know about its performance potential. Now, the 243 WSSM was sort of an aborted attempt to make an efficient little fast 243 in a really short action. So the idea was, if you liked a short action because it was lighter and handier and all the rest of it, why don't we shorten it even more? So they made these fat, fat, short cartridges called the Winchester Super Short Magnums. And the 243 version shoots almost identical velocities as the 243 Winchester in the smaller case. So if you like small and fat, there you go. Um, I never saw a huge advantage in having it. To me, a short action rifle in 243 is plenty short and light and handy enough. But I could see someone who really wants to optimize the lightest, shortest possible rifle and still maintain that, that sweet performance that we get from the 243. Not a bad option. And I did use one to take a doll sheep in Alaska on a hunt. And it performed just fine. I took that ram. I think the first shot was around 350 yards. I uh, hit him right behind the shoulder or right on the shoulder. I can't remember, but he didn't show any response to it. Uh, to which most people would say, well, yeah, because it's too light of a bullet and too small of a caliber out there at 350 yards, you dummy. Why did you do that? But I can counter with the, my buddy who was with me shooting at another ram. We sort of shot one, two. He shot first and then I shot. His ram didn't act like it got hit either. And he was using a 140 grain bullet out of a 270 WSM. Significantly heavier bullet, going a little bit faster, hitting a lot harder. 
same reaction. Both sheep just took off like they were missed. And then we shot again and again and finished them off. I think we each shot four times and we ended up hitting him three times each. And the only time really, really showed any indication was on the third and fourth shots or something. It's, uh, Oh, we talked about it on another podcast. Uh, you might want to look it up. It's a podcast I do with my friend Scott Grange, and he told the story. Well, we both sort of told the story. We helped each other out, but we were remembering the good old days. But it was pretty amazing what those two cartridges did, and, and they were pretty similar in response. The, the, deer, the sheep responded to those hits the same way, which was not like they'd been hit with anything, but, boy, it sure did them in. So... Yeah, the 243, we'll do what a 243 Winchester will do or a 6mm Remington or any of the 24s. Nowadays, it's the 6mm Creedmoor, which is pretty much uh, matching up with the 243 Winchester, a little bit faster, perhaps. So I think they're great light recoiling cartridges, all of them. So it just mostly depends on what rifle you want. Although, see, the 243 WSSM, I don't think is really viable anymore because almost no one chambers for it. So no one. E- Nobody is really making new loads or even a lot of old loads for it. You probably could go search store shelves now for the next six months and not find a box anywhere. Pretty much have to be a hand loader, I think, to make this work for you. So that would probably make me choose the 243 Winchester or even the 6mm Creedmoor over the WSSM. So we talked about the 243. Uh, WSSM. Now I'm supposed to compare it against the 65300 Weatherby. Whew. This is really significantly different because that 65300 Weatherby is an incredibly huge overbore cartridge. It's, when they say overbore cartridge, they mean that you're throwing a lot of powder <laughs> behind a narrow bullet down a narrow bore. And the result of that is inefficiency as far as internal um, ballistics are concerned. You burn a lot of powder and you really heat up your barrel to get a little more velocity out of any particular bullet. But if you want to go with maximum velocity, that's what you have to do. So the 6.5 by 300 Weatherby is the fastest 6.5 you're going to find anywhere. And you remember the 264 Winchester Magnum and how it had a reputation for burning out barrels because it was so fast and so narrow in the bore and all the rest of it. (laughs) Well, this is an updated version of that. (laughs) This is an even larger powder supply. So you are going to get superior range out of this. I mean, you're going to have flat shooting reach like you don't see in virtually every other cartridge out there. This very well may be the one, the top three flattest shooting cartridges in the world, depending on what bullet you use. So you've got a larger bullet than the 243. That's a 24 caliber. This is a 26 caliber. And you usually shoot a 140 grain bullet in it up to 156. They may have some 160s. Who knows what they've all got these days. They're always coming up with new bullets. So it gives you potential for putting more energy on your target. Um, And a lot of people like that. And of course, a bigger, heavier bullet, you're probably going to do more damage internally. So there's some advantages there. The disadvantages, this is a full-length cartridge, um, 300 Weatherby. I believe it's a it's a magnum length cartridge, um, three point six inches long. That's end to end with the bullet on it, so that's a big long cartridge, and it's pretty fat. It's going to be pretty pricey to maintain. You're not going to find a lot of ammunition from a lot of brands. Probably the only one out there is Weatherby. Um, so unless you're a hand loader, then it's a little more reasonable. But still, you're burning a lot of powder 
and you're going to wear that barrel out fairly quickly. Now, if you strictly want to use it for long-range game hunting, you can probably hunt for the rest of your life and not burn up that barrel if you don't spend a lot of time shooting targets. You know, just one or two shots on a hunt every year, and that's going to last you plenty long. And you're certainly going to have the reach and the punch to take your game with it. But it's in a whole nother league from that 243 WSSM. And I have yet to hunt with it, but I know a lot of folks who are pretty excited about it. And if I were, say, in my 20s right now, I would probably get one because when I was in my 20s, I was all about velocity. <laughs> all right, good question, Lindsay. I hope I came up with a few answers for you on it. This is from Lars, and Lars asks, do you use soft points in any of your ammo? Well, surely do. Lars soft point is just sort of a general term that used to identify a, an exposed lead tip on a bullet. You know, back in the mid-20th century, well, let's even go farther back than that. Okay, let's go back to the invention of smokeless powder. Prior to that, we were all just shooting pretty much lead bullets. You would make the bullet out of lead, and that would be it, which was fine until your velocities got up there around 1,800 feet per second or a little bit faster. And then you were going so fast and heating that bullet with friction to such a degree that you stripped it in the barrel and lost accuracy. You just could not grip that bullet properly, rifle it, spin it, and have consistent accuracy because you were stripping lead off the bullet as it went down the bore. And that's where the jacket came in. And they thought, well, let's stuff this lead inside of something that will withstand that friction a little better. And they came up with copper and put a little zinc with it, 5% or so, to make what's called gilding metal. And that's a little more brittle, a little harder, and it can withstand that friction. So that was nice. And as a result, they had to decide how long to make that jacket in relation to how long the actual lead bullet was. So if you stretch that to the shank of the bullet, that's the part that's full diameter that's going to be touching the bore. Well, then you end up with some of the lead in the nose sticking out. If it's a flat nose, sometimes there's very little showing. Um, depending on the ogive, the curve at the nose, you know, if you have a good long ogive, quite a bit of curve to it and stretch it way out there, then you can have a lot of exposed lead tip showing. Or you can stretch that jacket out further, follow the curve of the ogive with the gilding metal jacket and just have a little bit of lead tip showing. So by the middle of the 20th century, most bullets were doing that. Uh, they had gotten sharper and sharper over the, over the years to improve their ballistics coefficient, even though we didn't use that term back then. I'm sure it existed, but I don't ever remember hearing about it or reading about it until, gosh, probably into the 1980s or something. But we certainly had soft point bullets. And what the general attitude or consensus was on what is a soft point bullet, for most of us, it was, okay, we can see the lead tip sticking out and it's soft because it was always getting damaged. You could drop it and it would dent or you'd put it in your magazine and shoot a few times in the recoil, bouncing the cartridges back and forth in that metal magazine box in your rifle would end up flattening that sharp, sharply tipped nose, and then mm, we thought you had a damaged bullet. And we would also sign our licenses with them. <laughs> that was a cool trick. Yeah, they, they Just right when you shot a deer and it had to sign your tag, you just use the tip of your bullet. Soft points, that's what they were for. <laughs> so. Now, the point I think you're driving at is, are they any good today? Well, of course they are, just depending on the target and your objective when that bullet gets there 
and how fast it's going. With some of the new hypervelocity magnum rounds and such, there's big problems because that soft point bullet expands too easily and you end up with too much expansion. You end up with a pancake sometimes if the bullet stays together, or you very easily will break the bullet into various pieces, especially if you hit bone, tears it up pretty badly. And then the upshot of that is you lose the potential to penetrate because you no longer have solid one-piece mass of bullet to continue its momentum. It's broken up into little pieces. So that's why people are shying away from the soft points. But if you're shooting a relatively slow round, like a 30-30 or 45-70, soft points work beautifully. That's kind of what they were designed for or around. It was when we started throwing bullets over 3,000 feet per second, and especially with the magnums going a lot faster than that, yeah, then you've got problems with that soft point. Now, these days, the lead tips have been largely replaced by the plastic tips, which a lot of people call ballistic tips, which is not an accurate term because that's like calling a tissue a Kleenex. Kleenex is the brand name. Tissue is what it is. Ballistic tip is Nosler's brand name for their particular polymer tip bullet. And polymer tip bullet or plastic tip bullet is a generic term. So what does a plastic tip do? It prevents the lead soft point from being damaged in the magazine or when you drop it on something and you can't sign your license anymore. (laughs) But the polymer tips really are a sales gimmick more than anything. They do maintain a sharper tip through the life of that cartridge before you fire it. And they do enhance its ballistic performance a little bit because the ballistics coefficient goes up with a long, sleek, sharp nose rather than a blunter one. But it doesn't amount to a heck of a lot. The bullet itself, though, performs roughly the same way, whether the nose is exposed or not. If the lead is the same, the gilding metal jacket is the same, but the lead tip has been changed to a polymer tip, it's still going to fracture, split up, uh, pancake, et cetera, et cetera, because of the soft point. So I think what you really need to determine is, is it just a soft point, or are you meaning that the entire construction of the bullet is fairly soft for easy expansion? So that means you probably got a pure lead core rather than a hardened lead core with some antimony mixed in and alloyed with the lead. That's how they harden lead core bullets. And you can do that with various degrees. They got all kinds of tricks. And you can also strengthen the jacket, make it thicker, make it more malleable, all copper instead of gilding metal, for instance. You can put a wall across it like the partition bullet or the swift A-frame. You can leave the shank of the bullet all copper and make a hollow nose and put the lead in there. Or you can put the lead in the shank and leave the copper nose with a hollow in it to expand that way. There's just all sorts of options. Uh, So that is what sort of set people against soft point bullets. It's that we've got all these new variations that are designed to perform optimally under different circumstances and for different game. So... I think you just need to understand how all of these bullets work, what they're designed to do, and at what velocities. And then you can choose whether to go with a soft bullet or a hard bullet, a controlled expansion bullet, or a fragmenting bullet, all those different options. If you want to look on Ron Spomer Outdoors' um, YouTube channel, and I've got a video on there. I think it's titled Understanding Copper Bullets or something. But what I do in there is explain as many different bullet types as I could get my hands on. And that's both showing the bullet, showing the bullet sliced in half to show the internals, and then 
a bullet that's been recovered from game to show how it can expand and or break up. Pretty educational and informative, so you might want to look for that. All right, great question, Lars. This is Cal30M1. Cal30M1 asks, have you ever had to restart filming because you knocked down a row of cartridges? <laughs> That's a good one. He's watched some of my Ron Spomer Outdoors videos. I often will line cartridges up and then explain how one relates to the other and what they do or don't do. And they're all on this table in front of me on a board. And if I jiggle the table, they might fall over. And he wonders if they've ever, yes. <laughs> the answer, Cal, is absolutely that has happened along with many other things like we just had here with the UPS showing up and the dogs attacking the poor guy. <laughs> things get knocked around here. Uh, filming is not necessarily easy. Sometimes it will and hail and or rain so loudly on the roof that we have to stop for a while. Uh, quite often the cameras will mess us up. We'll do an entire segment and we'll put it on the computer screen and discover that somehow we bumped the focus off and the whole thing is a little bit too blurry and I have to redo it. Yeah, it's amazing. Sometimes we forget to turn the sound on. Okay, I'm going. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a quite an amateur production hour around here. <laughs> You're talking about an old gun writer and his wife trying to become videographers. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's a fun question. Okay, I'm getting the uh, signal again from the crew back there. <laughs> so I had better sign off. But before I go, obviously, I want to thank you folks for listening and or watching if you're looking at this on the RSO, Ron Spomer Outdoors podcast YouTube channel, where you get to see my lovely face as I expound on this wonderful topic of guns and ammo and bullets and everything else I don't know. Uh, but getting back to that, that 30 caliber I mentioned, boy, I'd like to get some good solid information from anybody out there on that one. Um, and uh, more information on that 6.5 by 300 Weatherby. If you hunt with that, I know one person who took a sheep with it. And I think she was pretty happy with it because it's a fairly long shot. And that's exactly why she took that rifle um, in case she needed to reach out there and touch someone on an expensive once in a lifetime kind of a hunt. So good use for that. And if uh, you can catch us on Ron Spomer Outdoors uh, YouTube channel, love to have you there. RonSpomerOutdoors.com is our website where you can read a lot of articles and blogs on guns and ammo and ballistics and shooting and all of the things that we dote on, those of us who enjoy guns and ammo and shooting and hunting. Um, and finally, got to thank our patrons who support us and help us do these programs. They keep us rolling. And we, we surely do appreciate the support from you folks. It's just humbling to think that you care enough for what we do to help support it. So hats off to you, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Until next time, this is Ron Spomer, an honest and shoot straight. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This 
is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.